electric powered flight across town. I'm Tanya Hall and joining me is Martin Warner, chairman and founder of Autonomous Flight. Welcome, Martin. Thank you for having me. Of course. Tell us what you do at Autonomous Flight and why you started the company. Well, for first of all, my background for, for 10 seconds is that yeah, I'm an entrepreneur for, for you know, 25 plus years. And I tend to lean towards science and, and technology. And as I get older, I'm 49 now, I was looking for different applications and I was looking for problems to solve that were three to five years out. And like every geek, I'm interested in just about every aspect of, of technology. Uh, and it doesn't really matter. I'll, I'll go and learn something if I think it's worth it. So I'll spend, a, you know, I'll find a curious area and then I'll, I'll go and learn it. And then if, if the idea still stacks up, I may invest in it. And a lot of my ventures over the years have come that way. So I became fascinated with drones and aviation. Uh, well, I, I've been in love with aviation for years, but didn't quite figure out how I would transition into the aviation market. Not so much, incidentally, transportation, which is a big factor of, 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 of this market, but I, I, I just was obsessed with aviation and then I became obsessed with drones. So I started to look at the multiple applications. I started buying a lot of consumer drones um, and lo and behold, I spawned two initiatives. And after a great deal of analysis, I was interested in parcel air logistics. So delivering parcels by air, think of Amazon, Google, Walmart. Uh, I have a company called Parcelfly that does that. And the other one was that I wanted to see if we could put passengers in a drone and put them in the air. And that became uh, the, this kind of sub aviation transportation segment called eVTOL, electrical vertical takeoff and landing uh, aircraft. And I became more obsessed with this concept that in this virgin airspace of two, sub, you know, sub 2,000 feet, that we could literally or potentially traffic 1.5 to 2 million passengers and complement transportation services like you know, coaches, bus, rail, and stuff like that. And so I got into it out of pure curiosity and this kind of interesting ramp in terms of R&D and a point in my life where I had the, the, the resources and I, I, I thought the maturity and the desire to go and solve these problems. And, and, you know, fueled by this, this kind of passion, which I don't believe any entrepreneur should, should try and avoid things that they're not deeply passionate about because the, the journey is too difficult. And that was you know, the better part of four years ago and two years of analysis before we even got going. Um, and fast forward, that's where we are today. Okay. How do you see autonomous passenger drones changing urban transportation for the better? Well, I think that it's a bit like the steam train and some of the great innovations over the years, people weren't keen on a steam train. They weren't keen on coal and they weren't keen on cars. And then when we said we were going to have millions of cars around the world, people thought that was crazy. And, and so I think that, that, that once we get over the hope, the hoop of you know, it being autonomous, which won't happen anytime soon, these aircraft will be piloted. But once we embrace this green concept and it's not a perfect situation, so, you know, ultimately, we've got to dispose of batteries, we've got to plug it into the grid to, to charge them up. But when we realize the green benefits, and then we realize the congestion and the pollution, and the time efficiency of complementing the existing networks, you really only have two choices. If you want to get around, you know, cars, you know, buses or coaches and trains, you're either digging into the ground, think of Elon Musk and Hyperloop, or you're going up in the air. And cities need a different dynamic capability and one that can scale. So I think the logical consequence outside sending and descending aircraft and, and, and airport zoning, 
being in the air is, is it just makes an awful lot of sense. And given that we can now look at, you know, let's say rotary based technologies to think of helicopter and, and plane combined, I think we have a solution. Um, I think it dramatically changes things because it humanizes the travel experience. You know, being in the air is very, very different to being stuck in a traffic jam. Um, and the idea that you can go from commuter hubs, be it a, a, an aircraft or an airport terminal to a train terminal or to just a, you know, a landing strip, a hub, let's say, inside a city. I think that's, that could be a pleasurable experience and you could be connected all the time. And these journeys are 15, 20, maybe 30 minutes tops. I think it, it, it adds a different dimension. It's almost like science fiction, but it's terribly efficient and it's terribly economic down the road once we get past the testing. So I think we, we, we won't take away the, 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 the travel consumption for big cities. In other words, there'll always be trains, in my opinion. There'll always be high-speed networks, underground subways, whatever. But the idea that we could put maybe a couple of million passengers in a developed city sounds like a, 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 a great solution. Granted, you said it won't be perfect, but between delivery oh. drones and passenger drones, aren't we setting up drone airspace to become as congested as the highways, but maybe a lot more dangerous? Well, this is a good, this question comes up a lot. It's a great, it's a great, and by the way, every time I hear it, it's a great question. I always think, can I refine my answer and can I make it a little different to what the industry says? But I'll just give you, a, I always try and give a balanced answer. And sometimes I try to always start with the negative and end on a positive. So you have something to think about. Think about the ocean. Most of, even though we're polluting the ocean, which is a terrible thing, most of the ocean is unexplored. Most of the ocean is un, you know, unoccupied. So if we think about what really is on the landmass, what we've really done to this country, just look at the East Coast from highways to buildings to homes to all these other things, to all these commercial premises, you can imagine the, the development. Now, if you look up, you know, up in the sky, there's nothing. It will take us an awful lot. And the truth is to create tracks in the, in the sky. Um, I'll give you an example. So I'm, I'm in this space. I'm doing both. So I'm, I've got an air traffic management system that's a bolt-on that allows us to define this concept of random autonomous routes. You wanted geeky stuff, I'll give you a geeky concept. We've been researching it for five years. So if you ordered an Amazon parcel at 10 a.m. and it was the same product, let's say a, a particular shampoo and face cream, whatever it is, or a, a belt that you want to wear or whatever it is, and you had that delivered by, by, um, by a parcel drone, you would argue that if everyone did the same thing, then the flight map would be the same if you look down at the world over New York. But the truth is, we don't do that. We don't order the same thing at the same time and the same location. So if you were to look at 100,000 deliveries in the tri-state area of New York, as an example, or DC or Austin or Houston, it doesn't matter. It means the flight map for all these drones would look like a spaghetti jux jack a junction, or what I was going to say is a Jackson Pollock painting. It would be all over the place. So we call that concept random autonomous routes. So how do you build an algorithm that allows a drone to fly and perhaps up to 2,000 drones in a greatest city limits in order to deliver parcels? Well, we have to build what we call is a fly envelope that allows them to work. And then we have to create a, a ceiling in order to allow passenger drones or eVTOL aircraft to fly before we get to things like helicopters and jets. So we have to partition the air. So you are absolutely right. It will get potentially busy up there, but there's nothing there today. And even if you had, I would argue, let's use London, 44 square miles. 
LA, 44 square miles, Dubai, 28 square miles cities. If you were to take these areas and say, what would 2000 drones that are three and a half by, by, by three feet at the most in size, carrying a payload of about seven pounds, which by the way, is 85% uh, of Amazon's global deliveries. So think about the use case. This is why the FAA is supporting it. It's a huge green case. But even if you had 2,000 drones in that area at 400 feet, and then you had um, a, you know, um, eVTOL aircraft at around 1,250 feet, I don't think it would be that congested, is my argument. I, don't, I think compared to the ground, yes, you'd see things in the air, but it wouldn't be that congested. All right, let's talk about how we get there then. What are the legal and maybe regulatory issues that have to be addressed to allow autonomous passenger drones to, to flourish? And the, so there's a, a lot, right? It, it's a big data challenge. So the technology, the good news is that in this industry, uh, the technology is already there, right? So we could fly an aircraft autonomously right now. We're not going to do that anytime soon. The regulator is going to want consumer confidence and they'll be piloted. And as I speak at the conferences, it's clear that I think the regulator doesn't know when. You know, maybe if we were to put eVTOL aircraft into service in the next three years as a pilot system, uh, piloted in a rollout, they would always be piloted probably for the next 10, 15 years. The hurdles we have is all around flight redundancy and, and, and safety. So traditional passenger safety, and then looking at how the aircraft is constructed. So there's so, you know, hydraulic systems, flight management system, autopilot, uh, looking at if there's a, a failure on the motor or, or, or the rotor itself, how does it trim and stay in the air? All these things have to be figured out. And then we have to figure out the air traffic control, which is what my other venture does, is how do we bolt on to a multi-billion dollar, well-protected flight management system and air traffic control that runs around the world and connects? So we have three big challenges that the regulator is looking at. It's just what's the operating network? You know, what's the traditional passenger safety? And then what's the architecture of these aircraft? And then we can look at licensing, but it's moving and it's picking up pace fast. Martin Warner, chairman and founder of Autonomous Flight. If somebody wants to connect with you, Martin, maybe they wanna understand what are the next steps and, and how do we make this happen? What's the best way they can do that? I think that most people uh, probably can get me through LinkedIn uh, and the team will pick it up or, you know, I have so many emails, but uh, I mostly look at uh, martin at autonomousflight.com. And if I don't pick it up, someone will tell me, but that's probably the two best places. Um, well, consider me a team autonomous flight. Thanks for joining us, Martin. My pleasure. And find and subscribe to more of my interviews right here on ZDNet, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or at tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.